at the command of the voice that came from the golden altar, the sixth angel sounded and when the trumpet was sounded, there was a release of the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. This one single statement is very, very insightful to us because it adds a dimension of understanding that is not typically um, and, and normally understood. We, we've come to understand that there are, in the realm of the demonic, there are certain order, there's a certain order to these demonic spirits. For example, when Daniel was in Babylon, there was a, the time came for Israel to be released from the captivity in Babylon, the 70 year period of that captivity um, that Daniel himself spoke about. And when it's time to release Israel, uh, an angel, the angel Gabriel was sent to tell Daniel that the time had come for this release. In fact, Daniel was already agreeing with heaven because he was praying at that very time when, when Gabriel was sent to him. Now he didn't pray before that time for the release of Israel because he understood by his own language, by his own words, he said, I understood by what had been spoken through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah that the captivity of Israel would last for 70 years. So Daniel being cognizant of the prophetic scriptures did not see a point in starting to pray for the release of Israel back to uh, the, the, the land of Israel prior to the completion of the 70 years of captivity. So when we, when we approach prophetic scriptures, we must understand that it's not, it's not all about conjecture and supposition. There are hard underlying realities that anchor the things that are said that we can't see in a prevailing reality that we can see. It keeps us from becoming entirely speculative and conjectural. I mentioned in the last broadcast that part of the, the one of the reasons that God causes things to, to become circular in the prophetic references is so that we understand and observe the patterns. Now I'm introducing, introducing a second principle of prophetic scripture and that is that God will with specificity identify uh, reliable earmarks concerning 
certain prophetic scriptures. So it's, it, there's a reality that is knowable and on, on that basis the Holy Spirit then will tether the prophetic reference to that knowable reality so that as it moves out on the line of that tether into the future, you're not simply spinning in the wind or, or unmoored in, in reality. Let me explain what I mean uh, and I'll give you an example in just a moment. So it, in, in the book of Daniel it specifically said that there was the prince of Persia who had opposed uh, the angel Gabriel when he was coming to bring the word to Daniel in, in response to Daniel's timely prayer after Israel had been in, in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, all of those are very concrete things. The prophet, uh, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, whom, whom Daniel quoted, said, it'll be for 70 years and he, he, it, they understood that it was God's judgment upon a disobedient people for having failed to observe the Sabbath year for 490 years. Uh, that would mean there were 70 Sabbath years where the land should have been idle and they refused to, uh, to, to obey that portion of the law of Moses to which they were bound and God simply took them into captivity and let the land remain idle for 70 years. Daniel knew that because Jeremiah had told him that, it was written in Jeremiah, so he didn't begin to pray until after the 70 years were complete. And, but the day the 70 years were complete, that's when Daniel went to pray. So the timely prayer of Daniel re resulted in, a, in an immediate visitation from God while Daniel was still praying, is, is, is the language that, um, that Gabriel used to tell Daniel that he was dispatched directly in response to Daniel's prayers. Now following that, as the angel Gabriel was making his way as the messenger of God, he's one of the angels who, uh, we, we talked about this earlier, he's one of the angels who stood before God, who stand before God to do his bidding. He told Mary that of himself as you may recall. Anyway, so as he was, uh, as Daniel was praying, uh, Gabriel came to bring this answer but the demonic spirit assigned to keep, to, to, the, to dominate the nation of Persia and that spirit was called the Prince of Persia. So yes, there were human, there were human rulers over Babylon and then Persia, there was Darius, uh, there was uh, Cyrus, uh, actually was, uh, Darius was the, the, the first of the Medes and the Persians and then Cyrus and then there'd be Xerxes later and then there'd be Darius the second and so on. Now, so there were earthly rulers but there were demonic spirits assigned to these nations 
to continue the systemic deception of the nations and that through kings. So he said, while I was dispatched, while you were praying, I was dispatched. That's what Gabriel told Daniel. And the prince of Persia, since I was on a mission from God, the prince of Persia intended to oppose me because prince of Persia is an enemy of God. All demonic spirits, whether they are high princes in authority or low-level operatives, they're the the opponents of God and therefore by extension our opponents. They're enemies to us and enemies to Him. So he was sent and the prince of Persia detained him. And then he said, and no one came to my aid except Michael the great prince. So Michael came to his aid, overthrew the prince of Persia and the messenger messenger came through and then he said, and as I return, the prince of Greece will come. So apparently the overthrowing of the prince of Persia was a permanent thing to be replaced by the prince of Greece meaning that on on the earth where human rulers are being deposed and replaced in the same way in the heavens, in the invisible realm, demonic spirits are opposed and demonic spirits are replaced and replaced by other demonic princes. Now, this is an interesting wrinkle that we hadn't seen before. And that is, whereas we know that certain spirits are bound in Tartarus, even presently, and will be released out of Tartarus at the command of God to bring to be participants in the judgments upon mankind that will come, all of these spirits that are bound are not necessarily bound in Tartarus. You remember we read that from when when the the demoniac in the country of Gadara begged Jesus, the demons in, in, uh, in the demoniac of Gadara begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. So we know that there are certain demonic spirits in the abyss bound in chains and darkness, we see them being released out of this bottomless pit, this Tartaru, which is less about the depth of the pit and more about the completeness of their their detainment, the helplessness and hopelessness of their detainment. They're bound, meaning that they're, they're thoroughly restrained. Now, so there were the demonic spirits ruling in territories and these would be what are considered according to Ephesians the 6th chapter, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right, in the heavenly places. So there's the highest heavens which are the heavens of God, there's the second heavens which is the realm of the demonic 
from which invisible place they control the activities of humans in territories on the earth where humans by various means, whether by ancestral agreements or by false religion or by deceptions of various sorts, these demonic spirits have been given access to the control of these nations, Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece. So, that, so when, 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 when the angels sinned and were cast out, some were put in the second heavens, some were put in chains in darkness in the place called Tartaru or Tartarus. Some were allowed to move around on the earth. Satan acknowledged that he had been walking up and down in the earth and going to and fro in it. When God asked him for an account concerning his activities in the matter regarding Job. Right? But now we're seeing, and certain ones who are on the earth, certain of these spirits who are on the earth, are afraid that they might be sent into the abyss. They asked Jesus not to send them into the abyss. That was a real fear that they had. And they understood that that was possible, that Jesus could send them to the abyss. They begged for permission to go into the pigs. But here is yet another category of the demonic. Demons who have been bound in certain locations, awaiting for certain time frames that are described as for the same day. Let's look at it. They had been prepared, these four angels, four demonic spirits, had been prepared. This is not accidental. That they were bound by the great river Euphrates, that's intentional. But they were not only bound, they were prepared. They were prepared for an hour, in a day, in a month, in a year. That's the construction in the Greek that they have been prepared for. It says the hour and the day and month and year, but in the construction it means there was an hour in a day, in a month, in a year, in a particular year. Precise. That goes with the notion of being prepared. Now, it's God who had established these restraints. I am distressed. I am distressed at the level of power and authority we assign to Satan and to the demonic. Listen, it's only our ignorance of their ways that gives them the advantage of, that comes with invisibility. Yes, they do have the advantage of being invisible, but no, we are still the sons. That's why the scriptures say that the people of God perish because they're ignorant. 
They don't know what is true. Look, if you go to church every Sunday to learn how to live your best life now, and that's the garbage you are fed week after week after week, then of course you don't want to uh, have to talk about the demonic because you don't know anything about them. And they have tremendous abilities because they are invisible. But if you know about them, you can look narrowly on them and be entirely unintimidated by the fact that they have the power of deception uh, as their principal cloak and weapon. We have the power of the truth, including knowing who we are vis-a-vis who they are. We are the sons. They want what we have and they were never designated as the heirs of God. But one of the deceptions of the enemy is to have you focus on and exalt as your priority your present human circumstances and get God to agree with you that your imperatives need to be His and your imperatives being what you can eat, what you can drink, wherewithal you should be clothed, where you live, your health, your wealth and the rest of it. That is why these doctrines are so deceptive because they all focus on the immediacy of your human circumstances and you're terrified by the fact that the demonic lives in and amongst us but you don't know anything about them and from their position of invisibility they can threaten you, they can torment you, they can, they can, uh, they can give you the sense of insecurity, they can instill fear in you and the rest of it. Now that's the behavior of children. These doctrines that focus exclusively on your human circumstances appeal to the appetites of children and they are in fact the doctrines of demons. They aid in your subjugation, they aid in your torment, they aid in keeping fear preeminent in you. We have just watched how fearful the evangelical church has come to be, it's just being disclosed, how fearful they are to the point of delusionment, to the point where the evangelical church and its leaders by and large with very few exceptions have become delusional, which is to live in an alternative reality because of the traumatic nature of fear because in as much as you don't know the truth. Listen, this is a day of reckoning, it's also a day of separation. It's a time when if you're just a child, if you've been cultured to the doctrines of children, you don't know how to live in a terrifying world. But I'm telling you and the primary purpose of these messages in unveiling the book of Revelation is to remind you of what is true, but this frankly is a message of wisdom among the mature and if you're not mature, 
If you try to eat this food, you will regurgitate it because your stomach has not been trained to handle strong meat, you're carnal and you're immature. Look, these demonic spirits, if you just read that there were these four angels who were bound by the great river Euphrates for a certain time and month, and for a certain day, for a certain hour and day and month and year, and they will be released to kill a third of mankind. If that's all you know, then you are running, you don't want to know that. You'll hide your head in the sand and you will say, well, it's, it'll appeal to you when someone says to you, you know, all that's been fulfilled in the days of the Roman Empire. All that's been fulfilled, I, some of the commentaries are actually humorous because they talk about, and I'm sure in the day they seem very credible, but they talk about the rise of Islam and the Turkish forces of the Ottoman Empire, I mean, quaintly archaic at this point and wholly irrelevant, but there was a day when that carried the day. Listen, the, the fact is that God has, God intends that we be mature so we can handle these mysteries to the end that they encourage us rather than frighten us. So there are certain angels who are not in the second heavens, or there are certain fallen angels, demonic, that are not in the second heavens, they're not in, they're not in chains in Tartarus, they're not walking around on the earth tormenting mankind, including unbelievers and especially unbelievers. There are certain others that are bound. Their assignment is to certain locations in time and they're bound in those places and God prepared them. He bound them and prepared them for a certain hour, within a certain day, within a certain month, within a certain year, they're precisely prepared who, so that when it's time for a third of mankind to be killed, this is not a third of the sons of God, this is a third of mankind to be killed, they're ready to do what they were prepared to do. Now why would they be by the great river Euphrates. This is Babylon. Babylon is synonymous with religious deception, with falsehoods. Egypt was synonymous with economic deception. The primary deception of Babylon is a God in your own image. In the visions of Nebuchadnezzar, the pictures are of idols that that are shaped in the form of men, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron and clay, a picture of a man head, chest, 
arms, legs, thighs, picture of a man. So Babylon was primarily the exaltation of the primacy of man. And in fact, in the book of Ezekiel, when God speaks of the impending taking away into Babylon, it is precisely because Israel had neglected the ways of God and the princes of Israel and the priests and the people all consented to a deception that had to do with money and with the glory of man. And so God gave them a belly full of it in Babylon. And the notables in Babylon, men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these notables were those who held out for an understanding of God in spite of the threats and even the executions of threats against the Most High God. Daniel would pray with his window opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to eat the king's meals and in fact um, adhered to uh, the dietary laws of Israel so, and in the law. So in, in, in the central thematic structure of Babylonian captivity was that God put Israel into a country where the gods that they worshipped were made in the images of men and in the images of creation. So four angels bound at the great river Euphrates and prepared are uniquely able to take full and complete advantage of a human population that's become narcissistic, that's become self-worshipping. All you need to do is go back and read what Paul wrote to Timothy in the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy when he said, perilous times will come in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure, lovers of themselves, haters of the good, proud, boastful, arrogant, refusing to submit to authority and the rest of it, all of which speaks of the exaltation of man as the primary uh, image of God. So today we have theology that would trap man or would trap God in the demands of man. That's why I call these doctrines the doctrines of demons. Look, you ought, you ought always to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and the stuff will be added to you. But God is never going to be your surety to provide for you what you think you should have irrespective of who God is or the ways of God. This is creating a God in your own image. Mankind is going to be trapped in that and that's what these four angels 
are about. They have the spirit of Babylon to them, which is the religious worship of nature and man at the center of it. And we are living in a time where the human affection is for this kind of narcissistic religion. Look, most preachers today, most popular preachers today use the scripture as motivational speech. They're just motivational speakers who appeal to the soul, who supply you with supposed kingdom nuggets which are just trash. They're they're gold-painted rocks that have to do with if you think a certain way, then you will get the goods. This is just an updated version of René Descartes' uh, humanistic philosophy where he says, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. They're simply taking it to the next level. Whatever I think is who I am. So if you think positive thoughts, then a positive outcome will come. This is trash. This is narcissistic rubbish. It exalts only the primacy of man and it deceptively, in the worst form of deception, convince the most uh, diligent adherers to convince you that what is true is whatever nonsense you think up, whatever lustful things you think up, whatever unbiblical, unspiritual notions you come up with, then God is obligated to give you those things and that's your best life now. It It is the rootstock of present-day evangelical religion and there's nobody who's popular today who hasn't drunk from that that tainted cup. And and most of the people today, most of the wannabes, wannabe preachers, that's what they want to be. They want to find something that the people love and will follow them because they're telling them what they want to hear. But the scriptures say, what shall they do in the end thereof? These four angels will kill a third of mankind. We haven't gotten to how they're going to kill them yet. We'll do that in the next broadcast. I'm Sam Solon. Join me as we go forward. See you then.